I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a sexy man who has to help a fat man who is in love with a sexy woman. Meanwhile, the sexy man falls in love with a different sexy woman who is not in love with him, sending the sexy man into a crisis of self-doubt. He begins to drink, his life spirals out of control, and in the end, destitute and suicidal, he is committed to an asylum. Oh, hang about, that's the plot of the 2005 <laughs> rom-com Hitch. At least, I'm pretty sure that's the plot, eh? <laughs> I don't remember it perfectly. I the last 20 minutes. <laughs> In any case, this is actually a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and this is my twinkly-eyed co-host, Danny Moran. Hello. On this week's Film Chat, I review Kim Jong-un's least favourite film since Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, as the interview finally makes it to the UK. <laughs> Plus, we both tackle Matthew Vaughan and Mark Miller's postmodern spy film, Kingsman the Secret Service. Did the film leave us shaken and stirred, or were we more dismayed and perturbed? Oh, brilliant. Thanks. <laughs> Find out! Now! received a record number of letters we're finally making good um, yeah. after our promise to send people stuff yeah stuff meaning photos of us so many correspondents who mick... gets the privilege of being first mick campbell longtime listener asks what's the better film a knight's tale or national treasure i just can't decide well i've only seen a Na- national treasure i haven't seen a knight's tale but why is he comparing these two movies by the way um they both feature uh what m- men <laughs> people who are in game of thrones uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Sean Bean's in National Treasure and Mark Addy is in A Knight's Tale. I see. Do you, do you think he might, he might have noticed this and that's why he's comparing the two movies? I can only assume. Yeah, so well, what, I have seen both of them. And which do you think is better? A Knight's Tale is better. Much yeah? better. If you'd said National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. That's a whole different That's a whole different kettle of fish because yeah. it's got the amazing scene where uh, Nicolas Cage pretends to be a drunk British person. Yeah. Which itself is... Bangers like, and mesh! Haggis! <laughs> that one. Yeah. Yeah. But Knight's Tale has Paul Bettany playing like a playing Chaucer, so so great. Yeah, and it's got James Purefoy in it, just smirking his like ass off the whole movie. 
It's like the smirks in overdrive. Also, Heath Ledger, you know, is a very beloved actor now, so that kind of elevates it, right? A bit of poignancy. Anything with Heath in. Also, there's, bit better. there's a scene where he dances to David Bowie's Golden Years mm. for Medieval Times. Yeah. Originally a medieval um, <laughs> which Bowie later adapted song, which Bowie adapted. Yeah. Um, Excellent. So the answer to your question is A Knight's Tale. Thank nice you, tale, Mick. Mick. Thank you. Yeah. Concluded. Georgia has sent us the following letter. Dear Film Chat, love the show. I've noticed that Sarah Koenig, Kevin Bacon and Birdman all seem to sound very similar. Are they by chance related? In, um, no. Georgia, they sound totally different. I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Let's just remind ourselves what they sound like. Yeah, let's hear them. One pair of nerds telling you what they think each week. <laughs> I'm Sarah Koenig. So why not be like Bacon and forget your troubles with the latest super informative, ultra fun podcast film chat. You are the original man. It's time to make a comeback. I'm not sure what you're on about. Start a new podcast by yourself. Call it Word Man. What does that even mean? Yeah, don't, don't see the slightest uh, similarity. Okay. That's like three dissimilar peas and three different pods. We're talking a whole different vegetable per impersonation. It's there. like a celeriac, <laughs> a, uh, a cauliflower, no, something even more different. <laughs> Carrots and, yeah, and, a, and, a, and a beetroot. Uh, yeah, and a Ferrari. <laughs> That's how different they are. So, so absolute, that aside. Absolute nonsense to start the letter. She goes on. Incidentally, here are some impressions I look forward to hearing and who I think will be best to do it. Christopher Walken, Danny. Bane, Sam and Danny. Robert De Niro, Sam. <laughs> Can you do this, Sam? So she wants to hear me do it, but she's not convinced. You're not going to hear this, by the way, Georgia. We're just, this is just the letter we're reading out. Jeff Goldblum, Katie. Katie, do you have ex- Can you do Goldblum? You can, can do, do Goldblum's hands. hands. Katie's willing to do his hands. Is that okay for you, Georgia? <laughs> there, look. And he picks up oh, the thing wow. and grabs the Oh, wow. Actually, oh my, that's, that's incredible. That's fantastic, yeah. That's, that's Goldblum's hands. <laughs> there they are. Bane, again. Katie, this time. I've not seen that movie. Uh, um, Nicholas Cage. Katie. Can you do Nick Cage? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> good. Yeah, well done. Um, Sam, Danny, can you do an impression of me? Can you do an impression of me? Oh, that's, that's pretty good. And Danny, <laughs> Sam. Do you want me to say something? Do you want me to say something? Oh, my God. Wow. It's like yes. talking to a mirror. We're perfect. From your biggest fan, Georgia, Georgia. I guess she wants to hear herself do an impression of herself. Send that in, please, Georgia. We'll play it next week. We'll play that next week, Georgia. <laughs> right. Uh, I've gotten a letter from other loyal listener, Kyle, Kyle Skilton. Of Kyle on film fame. Kyle loves films. Oh, no, it's Kyle on film. He doesn't love them. He's just on them. He's on them. He's Sorry. on it. Beg your pardon, Kyle. Stay on those films. Uh, he says, hello, Danny and Sam. After being called out by yourselves about attending the first film chat bowling trip, I feel it was my duty as a fairly loyal film chatty. I just called you incredibly fairly. <laughs> I only listened to the podcast after Tuesday to provide my alibi. On that evening, I was taking advantage of the Kingston's Odeon cheap ticket night to see Whiplash. Sorry, guys. Next time, we'll be on your time. Oh, whiplash joke there. Quick thoughts on some films. Uh, whiplash. Pretty much agree with you two on this. Officially directed. J.K. Simmons is terrific, etc. I thought that while the ending does agree with the extreme methods, it's interesting as a study of of obsession and what someone can lose on the way to achieving greatness. Birdman, sorry Danny, I really enjoyed it. And uh, the Kyle's, rest is just gibberish. So Kyle's on my team. What's the point of reading? I mean, fuck. Does, does, he, justify, <laughs> does he justify that? Uh, okay, you can bear to read something that you don't agree with. 
I didn't expect it to be so funny and Edward Norton steals the film completely. I think the long take technique was chosen to blur the lines between reality and also between stage and backstage. It certainly has a few choice things to say about acting, theatre, films and critics, but I liked its cynical sense of humour. I have no idea what to make of that ending though. Lastly, hashtag justice for spool. You've redeemed yourself there, Kyle, with using my hashtag. <laughs> but your Birdman opinion is still wrong! I can definitely see where he's coming from on the strange ending of Birdman. It was yeah. like... It, the the ending tries to make his sort of superpower thing ambiguous when it seemed pretty clear that it was in his mind the whole film. So I didn't really understand it, but yeah, but whatever. We'll have to agree to disagree on that one, Danny. I think it was. I'll never agree to disagree. <laughs> we have a letter from longtime listener, first time caller Jake Hoskins. He's written his phone call in. Dear Samwise Ganchi and River Danube. Bizarre nicknames from him. Something you said a couple of weeks ago about the actors being really good in both the imitation game and the theory of everything, despite the films being really bad, got me thinking. Are actors just generally getting better? Like the way athletes are constantly improving and shaving times off world records. Or the way all cars nowadays are just generally well built, you no longer get real duds that you've got to steer clear of, they're all just fine. Or is that just total nonsense? <laughs> um, well, I think it's probably true that... You can normally rely on solid acting more than you can on good writing or directing. Yeah. I think it's um, because acting, you're not that dependent on other things to do a good performance. Yeah, there's there's rarely a sort of blustering producer like calling you up and saying, <laughs> I want you to perform in a different way. Yeah. Also, I, I think that you can rely on acting more because, in general, like even in really bad films, the production is like quite competent, you know? There's a lot of terrible films which have incredibly talented people doing a lot of work on the sets and the designs, the special effects and, you know, all that kind of thing. And I think acting is maybe closer to a craft in that way. Um, sure. You know, yeah. it's like it's a skill that those people practice at and that they're very good at. So, you know, that's why they do it well. Whereas by comparison, it seems like any old person can like write a script and if they knew the right guy, you know, it might turn into a film or something, you know? Yeah. It's like when you watch a bad movie, you, you don't get the sense that the script writer was like, a, you know, a really great like professional who knows their craft, you know? It often just seems like a total mess. Yeah. And that's often the glaring thing. You don't normally see a movie where you're like, that was really well written and the story was fantastic and it was super incredibly well directed, but the acting was just terrible, you know? Um, so, so, yeah. I don't know if getting, actors are getting better though. Right. It's hard thing to quantify. Audiences demand a standard of realism that they didn't, in terms of like you know watching violence and uh, you know yeah. watching like romance as well. You yeah. couldn't get away with one of those like fifties stage kisses now. People are just like, why are these two closed mouthed people pressing their faces <laughs> together? You know, it would look ludicrous. Also, that's why people are in uproar about the uh, the fake baby in American Sniper. It's like, come on. Yeah. If if that movie had been made in nineteen fifty five, I'm sure no one would have like, thought yeah. twice about the fake baby. But now these it's... days, the sort of grumpy, bearded Bradley Cooper, like clutching this plastic baby to his chest, just seems ludicrous. ridiculous. Ridiculous. Anyway, thank okay. you, Jake. Um, so we got one final letter. Um, following my inherent uh, vice review, um, I got a letter from Josh Brolin. Wow. He got in touch with me. Um, and here's what Josh Brolin says. I'll read it out as I imagine he would want it to be read out. Certainly. Dan-no-san, sammo fuasada. こんにちは。どうぞ。言っただけます。もっとパンケーキ。もっとパンケーキ。はい、はい、はい。もっとパンケーキ。そうですね。山田ね。ジョッシュブロリン。That's what he says. Wow. I'm not um, really sure what any of that means. More, um, more pancakes? I was in there. <laughs> 
<laughs> still, just, I mean, he still wants more pancakes. Yeah. He's just taken to uh, demanding pancakes. I think the rest of it was relatively polite. Um, I don't know exactly what he means, but it's nice to hear from him. Thank you all for your correspondence. There have been a few more specifically about films which we will tackle as we review them. Yes. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast Well, the other ones can kiss my ass Because I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat News News um, So, it's a bit of a slow news week Gosling Remember that guy? I remember Gosling. He used to be in films, didn't he? Yeah. And then and then he just became um, like a guy who was on the internet saying, hey girl. Yeah. Hottest man alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexiest <laughs> living male. And now dad. <laughs> sexiest dilf ever. Yeah. Hottest dilf in the world. World's greatest dilf. Um, he's made a film. We made it a while ago. It's called Lost River and it premiered last year at Cannes yeah. and uh, got trashed by everyone. <laughs> There's, they found yeah. the one thing Gosling isn't perfect at. And it's, <laughs> it's directing. And it's directing. Yeah. And he's released a trailer and it's very weird and moody. The the kind of news from Cannes is that it's this sort of sub-David Lynch, like, weird yeah. sort of mental film, isn't it? I, I have the synopsis, if you'd like to hear. Oh, go ahead, yeah. Is it sort of uh, Malick-worthy, like, weirdness? Uh, yeah, it's certainly in that direction. So, uh, Lost River, which Gosling has intended to echo the work of filmmakers like Harmony Corrine and particularly David Lynch, is the trippy, weird story of Billy, Christina Hendricks, who lives with her two sons in a shabby house in a derelict part of a decaying, unnamed town. Billy struggles to make ends meet, and when the bank friends to foreclose on her, she takes a job in a weird sex, gore, and vaudeville nightclub run by a mysterious businessman, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Awesome. Her eldest son, Bones, Ian D. K. Stecker, a name weirder than one of the characters' names. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, has become obsessed with the city's history. It transpires that the area was flooded to create a reservoir. There is a local superstition that the area is cursed because of that. And Bones vows to break the spell. He teams up with a young woman named Rat, played by Shersha Ronan, and has trouble with the local thug, a loudmouth called somewhat fittingly Bully, okay. played by former Doctor Who Matt Smith. Right. So that makes no fucking sense. <laughs> and so does the trailer. So Gosling's gone mad. I remember seeing, I think I saw a clip of uh, just Matt Smith kind of shouting a bit and being bold and uh, yeah, like there was a car on fire or something. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It all, it all looked like, a, it was a bit like some kind of A-level like abstract theatre piece or something. Yeah, it's definitely, you get that vibe from the trailer. I don't know, I, I'm going gonna, gonna to see this movie. Definitely. Even if Gosling, I mean, I know Gosling isn't in it, but maybe... But just to know he was operating... His hotness will just radiate off the credits, you know. So what do we see from the trailer? Like, does it give us a flavour of the plot, or...? It's pretty much as coherent as that synopsis is. Okay. Maybe even less so. It's got, it's got some nice actors in it, you know. Ben Mendelsohn's good, and Christina Hendricks is great as well. Matt Smith. Matt Smith, he's, you know, we like him. I think, I, you know what I want to see is a making-of documentary, which is just all these cool people hanging out. Yeah. And if the movie itself is shit, at least you get to see Gosling and Matt Smith hanging out. Well, there's like, there is like a sort of photo behind the scenes of like Ryan Gosling like operating like a red camera and it's like, oh, look at him, look at him operate that camera. Wow. Never seen a cameraman so handsome. He's doing it terribly, but he looks amazing. Well, Gosling, I hope you abandon directing and fatherhood and go back to what you're good at, being hot in movies. <laughs> also, I want you back to your 
mid noughties half Nelson attractive level. Absolutely. Lose a bit of the like bulk. Yeah. You know? Stop being Daniel Craig. Yeah. Let's see you as a trimmer, um, sexier man like you were in Half Nelson. Go back to being a drug addict or something. Yeah. Not, you know, in films. In films. <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, it'd be bad for your baby if you were a drug addict in real life. So. Don't do that, Gosling. Don't become a drug addict in real life. To clarify, do not take drugs. Just say no, Gosling. Just say no, Gosling. <laughs> yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That's a good deed done for the day. Um... I have some news uh, sent in very kindly to us by Chris Young. Chris has sent news of the Weinstein Company auctioning off one of their internships, which means that someone, some lucky person will get to pay the Weinstein Company <laughs> for the privilege of doing work for them. Wow. Like, you thought an unpaid internship was the ultimate in exploitation of uh, rich people's labor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Harvey Weinstein is auctioning off a three-month unpaid internship for $25,000, which is equivalent to about £16,000, which means that you'll be going to work for Harvey Weinstein and paying him more than £5,000 a month um, in order to do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. I mean, do you think that means that when you go there, you just, you know, you get incredible jobs or something? Or are they still going to have you, like, running about making the tea and, like... Yeah, you're paying for the thing you can write on your CV. Actually. Yes, you're, you're, you're buying, paying for a line on your CV. You're buying, yeah, buying a line on your CV. But you'll just be going to a company where everyone will be looking at you and being like, this guy's a fucking idiot. What is he, you know? I mean, but... What a chump. Exactly. But when you're an intern, at, I've been an intern at a production company, and it's, you are just the odd job guy. Yeah. It's not like the Weinstein one to be like, you're you're making Judy Dench tea instead yeah, of just yeah. making some other guy tea. It's, I don't know. Yeah. I can't imagine it'd be that worthwhile. Also, when... Uh, when you're reading, you know, if you're a prospective employer and you're reading a CV and you see that someone's worked in such such a company, and isn't part of why that's impressive to do with the fact that that person got that job in the first place. Yeah, if you bought it. If you just bought it, then you could be anyone. Yeah. You know, you can survive for three months in the Weinstein company without, you know, being fired. Plus, you have $25,000 to your name. You know, that's what that's what it shows. Yeah. I don't know. Weinstein is just like, seems all these news stories about how unscrupulous he is and sort of, he seems like a bad guy. Yeah. We should mention that the proceeds from the money being used to buy this internship are going to charity. They're going to the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. So they're not lining um, Harvey Weinstein's Oscar laden pockets. A millionaire, right? Yeah. Give him 25 grand to them and get yeah. a. I don't know. And, and interview some interns. Yeah, just pay your fucking interns. I'm, it pay your it, interns. It doesn't make any sense. You're a millionaire. Yeah. You've got no excuse. Well, no one has any excuse, but him particularly. Him and also, also, you know, this is the classic problem of um, jobs only being available for. Uh, wealthy people yeah you know in these like artistic industries the only people who are getting anywhere in them are people who are already wealthy when they go in it's a real diversity problem yeah right any more news news is that no, all the news I think that's all the news we've got all the news we've got and now for Danny to review a film he recently saw was it staggeringly brilliant was it ask we poor how did Danny form a judgement we're about to hear his thoughts if he does a rubbish job then Sam will tell him off the interview 
Like the a, most uh, newsworthy film of this and last year. Yeah. Is, has any film with so many dick jokes attracted so much attention? No. no. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's familiar with the plot, but to briefly go over it, uh, James Franco plays the host of a very successful but somewhat vapid talk show, and Seth Rogen is his slightly put-upon producer, and they discover that Kim Jong-un is a big fan of the show, and... They agree to do an interview with him, even though all the questions will be prearranged with the idea that it will give them some credibility and enable them to get bigger guests in the yeah. future. But then they are enlisted by uh, an FBI agent played by Lizzie Kaplan to assassinate Kim Jong-un. Right. So it is uh, fine. It's fine? It's fine. So it's... Wh- where does it like sit in the pantheon of Seth Rogen dick joke films? It's definitely one of the lesser lesser ones lesser ones basically my main point would be that it's not really a satire it's a vehicle for dick jokes right yeah but by making it north korea and like i'm in a real person it just has become inherently a satire when that's not at all the film's aim yeah if you're expecting some biting it's not really it's mainly just dick jokes and bromance mm. it's more in the, the, the classic the classic formula. the classic things um, so basically, your enjoyment of the film will really depend on how much you like James Franco and Seth Rogen and that whole shtick, because they're basically playing themselves. And I'm like, because I really like Freaks and Geeks, and I just kind of like those Jet Apatow movies. I know people like have a problem with them, but I just I got a soft spot for them. And... I think I think there's like um, uh, I really like the Jet Apatow. I think Knocked Up. I think it's really good. Yeah, and uh, I like Funny People as well. But I'm sort of less attracted to. You. I mean, I haven't actually seen This Is the End. But I'm like, what slightly puts me off it is just the kind of like, it just seems entirely this sort of like bromance. We're all funny. We're all hanging out. Aren't we hilarious? Yeah. Like that kind of thing. It slightly slightly puts me off that kind of like. Yeah. I think they're like, they're as like full of self-deprecation though. Like they're they're not the heroes of their own movies. There's a point that they're idiots. That's true. That's like the main vibe from their movies. And like James Franco is having a great time in this movie. He just, like, loves being in this film to the point where he's not really acting for, like, the first half of the movie. He's just that excited. He's just that excited. And there's, like, an ongoing bromance in real life where, like, he loves Seth Rogen. We've known each other since Freaks and Geeks. And in the movie, he loves Seth Rogen. And he's, like, constantly <laughs> talking about how much he loves him. And I was just, like, it kind of endeared me to the movie somewhat. Yeah. But if you're not on board with that style of comedy, it will grate on you. And But the standouts are the actors playing Kim Jong-un, this guy called Randall Parks. And uh, this woman, hilariously called Diana Bangs, who mm-hmm. plays this Korean character called Suk. And they are sort of underplaying it. And they kind of balance out the tone slightly. Yeah. Because there's a lot of mugging from James Franco. But they're doing a good job and, like, uh, they're a bit more deadpan. And, I don't know, they, just, they, they tread a fine line and they do it well. Yeah. Um, I think, with per- perhaps the exception of 50-50, like all of Seth Rogen's films are about sort of arrested development and sort of men acting like children. And the appeal for the movie was Kim Jong-un as like the ultimate example of like the man-child. It's like this 31-year-old guy who cuts his own hair and loves basketball who happens to be the leader of like the most fascist totalitarian state in the world. Yeah. Arguably. I don't know. Ah, It probably is. is. And uh, it was based on Dennis Rodman's relationship with Kim Jong-un. Have you been following this, the basketball player? I know that he, he's constantly saying I was going to go to North Korea and like sort <laughs> shit out, right? Well, basically, the way this came about is Kim Jong-un loves basketball and he loves NBA. And he, Dennis Rodman went there and did like an exhibition match and just became really good friends with Kim Jong-un. Right. 
like this huge like six foot five like fifty year old black former <laughs> with like this five foot one yeah. chubby it's like hilarious yeah, yeah. and uh, you can see the appeal of that like as a conceit like this random American becomes friends of Kim Jong Un yeah absolutely yeah and uh, I found this interview with Dash Robin talking about Korea and there's like the the interview is almost like funnier than the interview yeah We're talking about Kim Jong Un this is my favorite quote uh, they love American eighties music they do karaoke to it. He, meaning Kim, has this 13-piece girls band uh, with violins. He gets a mic and they play the whole time. He loves the Doors and Jimi Hendrix, oldies. When I first went there, the live band only played two songs for four hours. The oh theme God. songs from Rocky and Dallas. Oh my God. And it's like, you know, the the truth is funnier than the fiction. Like yeah. some of this, like he does cut his own hair. That's a thing as well. Really? Yeah. He's got that great haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does yeah. himself. Um, so the best bits of the movie are the ones that explore this concept. And there's this kind of funny passage where James Franco gets on really well with Kim Jong-un and like doesn't want to kill him because he seems like a really cool guy. Yeah. And that bit was good. But the the plot is a bit lumbering. And I think, going back to what you said, the best Seth Rogen movies, his sort of loose, improvised style, or like those kind of movies, work best with films like Knocked Up and 50-50, where there's like a sort of overall plot story. point. Yeah. It's like... At some point in nine months' time, his uh, his girlfriend's gonna give birth, but that doesn't really dictate what have to what has to happen that nine months. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's a bit lion's feet. Whereas this is like a bit more plot orientated. So it takes ages to get to North Korea. You know? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, and it's sort of you know there's sort of these kind of assassination set pieces. I mean, like when in these movies, like you're not the thing you're interested in is not necessarily the mechanics of how the plot is going to get made to be. But... Yeah, and there's like quite a laboured joke about how Seth Rogen has to like hide a vessel with some poison in his ass and it's just like goes on for ages, you know. Uh, but like the best bits in it are like the sort of quick one-liners and the sort of yeah that kind of stuff. So I'd say maybe catch it on DVD. It's not terrible, but it's exactly the movie you think it's going to be. Right. Uh, but I hate the West now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I hate it. Well, in that case, you think that uh, North Korea would have been wanting to promote the film even more. Yeah. Yeah. I hate them. I hate the West. Well, I hate the West, too. They're a lot of, uh, lot of wrong. I hate them. So that's my review. Okay. Concise and to the point. Very good. I liked it. So Kyle Skilton has also um, has sent us his views on the interview. And I don't know. Uh, well, interesting to see if they accord with what you think. So, Kyle, the interview. Another bromantic comedy from Rogan and Franco, this time with occasional mild satire, though even saying that feels like giving them too much credit. The action finale is entertaining enough, but that's about it. High on ambitions, but low on laughs. If Kingsman ends on a bum note, apparently, on says, that later. then the interview is one long note about bums. That sounds like... Very good, Carl. <laughs> it, it sounds like he's um, he's written a, a, like a sort of BBC like sign-off, you know, like, back to you, you know. <laughs> If Kingsman ends on a bum note, then the interview is one long note about bums. That's how I... <laughs> I want you to throw it back. Back to you, Danny. Well, I think I'm a bit more positive than Carl is. I like James Franco and Seth Rogen. I like, I like them in movies, and may they long continue. <laughs> <laughs> a stirring tribute. So we saw Kingsman yesterday. Yeah, we're two lads. We're two lads, and we, we went to see this sort of film about some lads going and like shooting shit up, right? 
Yeah, we it's our it. favourite film ever now, isn't it? Oh, I love it. It's my top film of all time. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And uh, so see you next week, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so no. the plot. Here's what Kingsman's about. Eggsy is a strangely named listless hoodie council estate chav person. And he seems to be slipping into a life of petty crime. But he's rescued by a ridiculously posh spy called Harry, played by Colin Firth. Harry inducts him into the glamorous world of international espionage, and they have to stop a deranged billionaire IT genius called Richard Valentine, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson. And that's the plot of Kingsman. Yeah. Before we start, we've that's got a... the plot of Kingsman. That is Michael Cambridge. That is the plot. Before we start a review, Chris Young sent a message saying, please try and get for your Kingsman review without making some sort of pun about it ending on a bum note. This is what every review I've read of it has done so far. Unfortunately, it's too late, Chris. Kyle's comment already included something about a bum note. Yeah, I think he's responding to that comment, but we did that film first, so... Oh, okay. Oh, well. So, we didn't... We didn't really like it, did we? We didn't like this film. Our hive mind just just said no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, I was sort of like... The whole film I was kind of seesawing between whether I liked it or I didn't like it. Um, And then it ends on this, like, gratuitously sexist, lame gag, which is so cringe inducing that it really left a sour taste in my mouth so yeah. i came down very solidly on the side of no it was bad by the end of it maybe we should start with the should positives we... okay such as they are yeah so i think the the cast are very game and they're giving it their best yeah Colin first a lot of fun and uh so samuel jackson basically sort of riffing on their screen personas slightly yeah. I, 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 Samuel Jackson is such a great actor, you know, you just like give him a little speech, it doesn't really matter if it's like badly written or not, and just set him off and he just like, you know, yeah, he's, he's just absolutely fantastic. Doing this kind of like megalomaniac speeches, I think, no one does those better than him. Yeah, was, he's like, he's, he's a lot great. of fun. Yeah. And the um, main guy, Taron uh, Egerton, Taron Egerton, I think quotes himself quite well. He he's does, got a bit yeah. of a nothingy part, but he's got a sort of likability to him. I don't know if it's not, it's just like a bit shit his character yeah his character is a bit shit but he is you know he's going for it yeah yeah all credit to him he's better than that kick-ass guy you know uh, yeah he is aaron taylor johnson they he should have hired him. this guy for kick-ass aaron taylor johnson is a bit like um the kid in stormbreaker alex petiver yeah he's just inherently not likable i think are there any good actors called alex are there any good actors called alex <sighs> i don't think so i can't think of one so uh that's good and there were a couple of well done action sequences. Like, like, basically, the film is doing its absolute best to be fun. It's like this sort of annoying kid who wants to be your friend. You know, it's like, yeah. look at me, I'm like super fun. Every time any sequence threatens to be fun, there's like a great, cool, like, song kicks in. And yeah. it's like, down and now, 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 now. It's like something awesome is happening. Yeah. And it just wants to entertain you, like, to the max, like, every second. And sometimes it succeeds, you know. Some bits some yeah. are quite like, enjoyable and, like, well made. Even though the action sequences are a bit indebted to the world's end. And Scott Pilgrim, I yeah, thought. very Edgar Wright, very Edgar, a very Edgar Wright esque. Actually, one of the movie's problems is that its influences are very much worn on its sleeve. It's a hard to watch and to be like, oh, that's that thing from this other thing like, all the time. Yeah, not just the Bond. It's like it's all this Bond spoof. Yeah, but not just that. You know, like the the evil villain's plot is just from Stormbreaker. Yeah, <laughs> as uh, Chris pointed out to us. Let's just lay into this like we both want to. <laughs> this movie is not good. Yeah. It's obnoxious and it's uh, awful. There's a, there's, a, there's a few problems with it. First of all, it is making one of the most clumsy and confused attempts at some kind of class commentary ever. Yeah. 
So Mike, it's based on this comic book by Mark Miller. But what Mark Miller was saying about um, the thing is that, you know, he's sick of seeing working class characters downtrodden and spat upon. And he wants to create a working class hero, you know, so that they can be given, you know, an airing or something. Yeah. But it does not, the film does not at all feel like some kind of genuine portrait of the working class. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the working class in it are just, you know, what you like read in like the sun or something, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's it's just a total caricature. It's a film about people who've just watched films and that's the extent of their research. Yeah. And it's just, you know, just put like an Adidas hoodie on somebody and have them so like bruv and look yeah yeah and it's just really it's sort of irks and you're just like well oh, this is his, the, no, the main character he's he's got a single mother obviously he's got obviously. an abusive stepdad obviously yeah. all they do is hang out at the pub and fight yeah. each other like that's his life classic uh, working class and mark, mark miller is um apparently a you know he grew up on a, on a council estate or yeah. something like that and um Matthew Vaughan absolutely didn't. And, and, and maybe uh, maybe because it's that way around, you know, that's why it doesn't really ring true. Yeah. And it's supposed, to be, it's supposed to be some kind of aspirational story about how, you know, he is like, shows that he can make it with the posh boys or whatever. But it's ultimately, basically he gets picked up by Colin Firth and put through this training program so he can join the Kingsmen who are these like ludicrous, posh, Bond-esque spies, all of them, like, or oh, they're all Bond. Yeah. And so he sort of like becomes one of them. But it's basically... Like the the version of an aspirational story for a working class person is becoming a posh twat. Yeah, you know, you too can be a posh prick. You know, well done, wow. Yeah. And Colin Firth does this. Uh, he has this whole speech in it, or he makes several references to how um, it's not about you know whether you're born um, in a, into a posh family. It's about your strength of character and that sort of thing. Yeah. But then the rest of the time, all he says is like stuff about um, Brogues versus Oxfords and here's our exploding cigar and here's the umbrella. It's all these like class, yeah. there's all these markers the of being a upper martini. class. Yeah, here's how to make a martini. And, it's like, very confused. Yeah, it's least. like, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, the only important thing is your strength of character. But by the way, every single person in our organization is ridiculously posh and we all wear like identical ludicrous suits that are like straight out the pages of GQ or whatever. It's like, it yeah. obviously is a class thing, you know? It would be like being inducted into the Bullingdon Club and have them go, well, you know, we only let you in here on the strength of your character. You know, it's nothing to do with, you know, it's like, yeah. come on. So that kind of irritated me. Yeah, I was thinking about the film in, like, the larger context of Matthew Vaughan's filmography. And I think the key film is Stardust, which, if you've seen, is... It, well, it's a film which is in a specific genre, which is... A parody of that genre, but at the same time, is that genre? It's it's basically it's trying to be the Princess Bride, yeah. but it's not nearly as good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it feels like with Kickass and the spy, uh, this movie, the spy movie we're reviewing, Kingsman. Yeah. Uh, he's just trying to do that of like having a parody of it, and yeah. but also be that film. All of his movies are attempts to have think, cake and eat it too. Have a cake, but he just lacks the wits and like sincerity to like yeah. put it off. And I think also is a thing maybe why I'm not even that bigger fan of Kick-Ass, but why that film is more successful is because the tropes of a superhero movie or a comic book movie are like, it's a sort of American blue-collar kid with a strong moral compass who gets power and he does, does the right thing. Yeah. And so it's easier to have a hero you can root for. That's like a solid story. But like the spy genre, particularly the Bond films, he's like a cold-blooded misogynist prick. And so to do a like parody version of that, you have to tackle the problems head on yeah the, the inherent misogyny yeah, and a, all it really does point, yeah. is just copy it but with like a few pop culture nods it's like hey isn't this sexist it's like well that's not really okay i was thinking of um 
there's just two comparisons that I want to make that I thought of. One of them is to Tarantino. People always complain about the violence in his movies. But in those movies, there's, there's a very deliberate choice to how it's done. You know, it's, yeah. it's done very carefully. And there's cartoonish violence and there's also violence that you're supposed to, like, supposed to feel, you know, it hurts. Yeah. Um, and those choices are made quite deliberately. There's, there's no scene in his movies where a bunch of people in a cafe just, like, fucking stab each other in the head and we're just supposed <laughs> to sit there and laugh, you know? And the other thing is that he wants to have this kind of comic book, like, sense of abandoned fun, you know, where it's all really lighthearted and nothing really matters, you know, it's all sort of fine in the end. And a movie like Spider-Man 2, I think, yeah. is doing that much more successfully because all of that sense of fun is done in a very sincere, like, disarming way, you know? It's not like nodding and winking at you and being like, ha ha ha, aren't we all smarter than this, you know? Yeah, There's something really cynical, like, hollow about it. And it's almost like his characters are also just props in his films. Yeah, he doesn't... There's he no doesn't sense give he, ca- a he shit, doesn't care like... about them. He doesn't care about them being, like, consistent. He doesn't care what happens to them. It doesn't matter. And you really get that, like... That's why I didn't like his X-Men movie. It's because, you know, being a sort of geeky child who loved the X-Men animated series... As, didn't we all? As, as we all did. I actually, you know, I actually do care about those characters. I don't care if it's, like, a comic book movie or whatever... Like, it matters to me what happens to them. And in X-Men First Class, you didn't really feel like he actually gave a shit. You know, they weren't real people. Yeah. There's also, going back to the just sort of undercurrent misogyny in it, it's like, it's so much a problem because of the pains the movie goes to, like, being a gentleman. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, his idea of a gentleman is somebody who wears a suit. Yes. And that's as far as it goes. Probably the, the most annoying thing, I hate that, is sort of like, you know, what's a gentleman he can, like you know, he knows the rules to, like, poker and uh, he can tie cravat or something. It's, I just, you know, yeah. it's all that, like, random, like, GQ shit. Speaking of which, another correspondence from Jake on that matter. Uh, from the trailers and related promotions I've seen for Kingsman, the entire thing seems to have been invented as one incredibly long advert for various awful, overpriced, aspirational men's lifestyle brands. Is this indeed the case or am I completely mistaken? Well, it absolutely is that, yes. Yeah, there's like... There is even there is even like an actual, you know, commercial partnership where you can buy those suits from Kingsman. <laughs> well, it's like if your idea of being a man, like the most manly thing you can do is uh, have a tie clip on, you know, and then and then that's like, that's what your idea of a man is. Yeah, and it's not this sort of thing of like, you know, law reviews of the point I was like, laddish humour. But, like, laddish humour has just become quite a creepy term for... It's like the word rapey or something. Yeah. It's, like, socially acceptable misogyny and poor taste. Yeah. It's, like, laddish. It's like, I'm a male. Don't blum me in with these people. I'm, I'm as much of a lad as them, gender-wise. Yeah. I feel like I would not hate it as much if it weren't for how it ended. I really couldn't take it. Okay, come back in... 120... Seconds or... Two. Minutes, depending on how long we take. <laughs> Because we're, uh, the... we're going to briefly discuss the very end. Spoiler alert! Spoiler! Spoiler alert! Watch out! Spoilers away! Careful! Spoiler alert! Spoilers! Okay, so um, as part of his elaborate scheme by Samuel Jackson, he's imprisoned all these famous people and uh, state figures, and one of them is the Princess of Sweden. And the hero looks in the cell and sees this hot woman, and she's like, "Can you let me out?" And he's like. I'll let you, if I let you out, will you give me a kiss? And she's like, if you let me out. And then, like, the uh, plot alarm sounds. Yeah. And he's like, sorry, love, I've got to save the world. He's like, if you save the world, we can do it in the asshole. Yeah. And, uh, like... They are immediately, some... like, cringing at that. And so I was like, oh, God. And then he, like, defeats the villain and he comes back 
and uh, he goes and has anal sex with his woman, and there's like a gratuitous shot of like her Bounce. ass yeah. from his uh, spy camera glasses. And there's supposed to be some sort of riff on the Bond ending of him always copping off with some woman, but it's just like, Jesus, like a movie all about being a gentleman is like, I'm just gonna uh, fuck this gun in the ass. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, God. That, that, like... That, that's the kind of moment that makes me feel like, like none of what he says in the film is true. You know, he doesn't really give a shit about any of that. You know? Yeah. As long as there's a bunch of like giggling teen boys in it, like he doesn't really care about the rest. Like right at the end, I had this sort of like sinking feeling. I was like, surely he's not actually going to go. And like, and it's not actually going to happen. And I thought maybe he was going to like, she's going to say like, yes, you know, we'll have sex in the asshole, and then uh, she can let him in, and then she was just going to be like freaked out from being in prison. She was going to burst out. She was going to like knock him down and be like, fuck you, and then like run off. And then I would have been like, that would have, you know, been like, that would have been yeah. okay. And then it didn't happen. I was like, it just. Oh. Oh, and then it is some sort of dedication to Matthew Warren's mum. Yeah, he's like, like to, to my mum, Kathy, you taught me how to be a gentleman. It's like, it's like the, the last you, thing you, you saw a kingsman do. Your mum was your. That was, what? Did your mum inspire that scene? Like, was she like, you've got to put this scene in one of your films? So, film of the week is still Inherent Vice. Uh, yes. <laughs> still just goes, like, just goes to Inherent Vice. Inherent Vice, yeah. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardot She's the queen but she wants to be in radio So she starts a podcast with her friends And the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end so it's the BAFTAs on Sunday, uh, which I may um, live tweet. I don't know. It could happen. Um, and they're being hosted by Stephen Fry again, the world's favourite man. Everyone loves him. He's absolutely hilarious. And uh, he is probably the most obsequious person in the world. Yeah. Like his approach to, to hosting is just to deliver these weird Baroque like praises to every single person. With about nine adjectives attached to each. Yeah, he's like the thing. ultimate lovey. And yeah. the, the thing that the one we always remember is him introducing Helen Bonham Carter and, and saying something like, some people say the world's going to hell in a handcart, but I say it's going to hell in a Bonham Carter. Stephen's Yeah. He made a really laboured pun. <sighs> so it's a, bit, it's a bit annoying. But we have been trying to think of lines for him. Yeah, so I don't know if he listens, but Stephen, feel free to use this. Uh, here's one that was inspired from the Helena Bonham Carter line. Uh, my mother always told me it was rude to startle a goose, but I think it's about time we rustled a crow. It's Russell Crowe. <laughs> I've got one. Many people have done great things for Hollywood, but no one has truly done more than Julianne Moore. <laughs> he's no lion, but he certainly has a red mane. It's Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> Bit labour now. Brilliant. You think that's laboured? How about this one? He used to crave beans. Now he acts as a hinged opening in an aviary. That's right. It's everyone's favourite bean addict cum bird hatch, Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> oh, well done, sir. <laughs> Thank you. And finally, my criminally young husband is constantly telling me, you only live once, or as he puts it, YOLO. YOLO, YOLO, Stephen, he cries from his beautifully formed cavernous mouth. But I say, let's YOLO or David Olilowo. It's God. David. So I've mangled his pronunciation. No, no, that was coming. That was coming out right. But I say, let's YOLO more David Olilowo. It's David Olilowo. Fantastic. You're going to edit that together? Seems like... Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Can you, you Maybe, like... Danny, if you play your cards right. Yeah. I think it was perfect. So, so that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's the end of this week's episode of Film Chat. Thank you to all our correspondents. We really appreciate you writing in. You'll be receiving wonderful goodies from us. Uh, once we run out of photographs, we will send something else. Uh, yeah. 
um, which will be even better. And I hope you all have a wonderful week and see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Some say goodbye. <laughs> I say... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Goodbye! <laughs> <laughs>